0: Welcome back, it's time for Customers Who Click. Another great guest for you today as I'm joined by Ryan Rouse, the Chief Digital Officer at Hi-Key. Ryan's joining me today to talk about why going D2C or direct-to-consumer is actually more challenging than having an omnichannel presence. There's a lot of talk about channels like Amazon uh, being either the most incredible thing for your business or the worst thing and it's going to ruin you. But Ryan sees the value in how all these channels can work differently for you to grow your business. Let's get him on now. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for joining me. Would you mind just introducing yourself? Uh, Tell us a bit of your background and what you're up to today.
1: Sure. Yeah. So my name is Ryan Rouse. Uh, Short background is I spent 13, 14 years in a more traditional background in finance and sales. So nothing to do with online, nothing to do with consumer packaged goods. I didn't come up through a big brand and get training like that. I launched a business. It was an online meal delivery company called Factor 75. It's now called Factor, but it was trial by fire. So I learned all of marketing because we used a lot of our own money to fund a business that we could only sell things online and we knew nothing about online marketing. So. That, that's the very short version of it. But now I'm the chief digital officer at a brand called HiKey, which we sell uh, low sugar, no sugar, cookies, crackers, and chocolates. And chief Di- digital officer there means uh, I have oversight over our direct-to-consumer, our Amazon business, and our third-party retail. So Target.com and the like.
0: Awesome. Cool. So what is contributing to growth at key at the moment?
1: Where do you see the opportunities? Yeah, I would say just dating back why I think Heike has been so successful. So we're only three years in, we've had a tremendous amount of success. And I would point to a couple of things as to why the first being solving a very real problem in the market. So that sounds so obvious, but it's not. It's one of the core fundamentals. If you think about what we do, we bring cookies and crackers and chocolates that have very little to no sugar, no added sugar. And so if you consider the fact that one of the biggest problems in our society now from a nutritional standpoint is sugar. Like that is the big domino that if that one falls, the rest of them fall, that's a real problem. And so the options are people are either a never going to eat their favorite snacks again, which isn't going to happen. Or alternatively, you can give them ones that don't have the sugar, but that still taste great. So I think that's a huge thing that uh, I would be remiss if I just didn't bring up the fact that Having solving, bringing a product that solves a huge problem in the market was a huge lever for success. I think the reason that we've had a lot of success up until this point is because we've had a mastery of the e-commerce channel and the ability to leverage the e-commerce channel and our product innovation team. So I think we're going to get into some topics around omni-channel and other distribution channels, but the beauty of e-com is you can launch products when you want, how you want, and and that allows you to get real-time feedback. So we have a product innovation team that's really fantastic at, at creating great products and doing it quickly. And then we, knowing the e channel, both Amazon and D2C, we're able to go to market very fast on those, get some sales, get some real-time feedback, really establish product market fit and understand from our customers what, what they're looking for, what they liked, what they didn't like. And so sort of an incubator model where we can get products out very quickly and understand what worked, go back under the hood on the product and, and improve them where we knew it was good or get rid of that product. So that iteration cycle, I think an iteration cycle in any small business, even larger businesses, but your success is going to largely depend on, your, on how quickly you can iterate across any portion of your business, but certainly with product. So we were able to quickly get products out to market. We then were able to use that to get into retail which is sort of backwards than than what traditional CPG looked like, where you would launch on retail first because A, that was the only thing that you could do, but you don't get that feedback loop at all. So we were able to take that, take those customers, take that those reviews, take take that feedback and not only innovate faster, but take those to buyers at retail and say, hey, take a look at these products that have performed so well. And that allowed us a lot faster path towards retail, not only in individual retailers, but across all of them. Yeah, and I suppose the yeah the feedbacks feedback and innovation is great,
0: especially for a, a younger business, but also like you say in a a reasonably new like category I suppose the uh, no added sugar treats. I'm wondering, do you see? Uh, so yeah, in, in the UK, we've got this company called
1: Huel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm a consumer of fuel,
0: yes. Oh, okay, cool. I've seen, uh, I, I get their their Facebook ads. You know, I, I tried it a few years ago, but loads of the comments on the Facebook ads, call them out for being vegan a lot, basically. Hmm. And I'm wondering, do you get similar sort of pushback from people who are basically saying, but it's sugar-free, like that's not, it's not a cookie if it's sugar-free. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's like a bit, a bit of a silly pushback, but you get people who are against the idea that because you're saying well it's a sugar-free cookie therefore yes. it that can't be the product that I want that's going to be yeah. something different
1: therefore I'm not going to buy it there is I would say that there's a lot that's a great example of a couple different uh, odd customer feedback that we get or different customer feedback let's not even call it odd one is that Absolutely. These are not cookies. We have a Clusters product. That's a chocolate product. And we're about to launch three new chocolate products in the next three weeks, which are all fantastic. But chocolate being another major, it's a dessert for lack of a better term without sugar. And so not only do we get pushback on how do you call that a cookie or how do you call that dessert, which I really think, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I don't want to get too down far down that rabbit hole. But you know, a lot of times when we object to anything in life, it's because we're being triggered by that in some way. So if you're eating full sugar things and maybe you don't want to, that's no judgment on whether you should or should not. That's to each their own. But if you're feeling triggered in some way by saying that isn't a cookie, maybe it's because you don't want it to be a cookie. Because if if so, that would mean there's an option for you to have that with less sugar and you're not taking it. And so maybe there's some of that going on. But what we really get a lot of also is ingredients in the in the better for you space for people that have spent a lot of time studying ingredients. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of misinformation out there about what is or is not considered a good ingredient. And that's a very blurry line, because if you go far too far down the research path of any ingredient, it'll end up being unhealthy for you in some way. Yeah. Right. So that's another one where people, our customer service team is very well um, educated because they have to be, because people identify there, there are, uh, it feels like there's almost two subsets of the world, the the people who still really don't look at nutrition labels at all. And I think that's becoming a smaller subset. And then those that really deeply look into the (laughs) nutrition facts panel and they're calling out individual ingredients and saying, Hey, why are you using this ingredient? Which is, it's wild, right? Because some of these are are healthy. Some of them are healthier options. Some of them are healthy in general, but uh, health is in the eyes of the beholder. So maybe the blog post that they read or the forum that they were involved in or the Facebook group, they found that they don't like that ingredient. And so we get a lot of pushback in that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, like you say, the the more you dig into it, the the more likely you are to find something bad. And there's always going to be the always going to be the case that there's an article out there somewhere saying this person had a really bad allergic reaction to this product or this ingredient. And so someone will use that as the attack, right? They'll say, well, no, you can't call this healthy because it's got this ingredient and it's proved to have had an allergic reaction in one person.
1: Right. Right. If if you go too far down, everything will be unhealthy for you at some point if you follow it too far down. So there's a spectrum of Health. Some things you have to come healthier. A great example, when we launched Factor 75, we wanted to use, you're sending a lot of things in a box to Mm -hmm. the customer's house, insulation, gel packs, because you have to keep the meals cold. And so when we first started and we were bootstrapped, we didn't want, we wanted to use all recyclable materials, but we couldn't, we had to use styrofoam. So this isn't a food example, but it's the same premise applies, which was we would get pushback from customers and would say we want to use the better option for insulation, but we just can't right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think at high key, we're using the best possible version we can for all of it. That's a great part about where we are in our maturation stage. There's better and it's a spectrum and not everything can be mass manufactured using the the highest quality ingredients that has checked the box on every single person's list because any of those products don't exist that check the box on every single person's list. And then there's a very real element of you have to mass produce something. And some of the things that you can mass produce don't align with um, what you can make in your house.
0: Yeah. Yeah, cool. So what other are the challenges you're facing while we're on this topic of dealing with potentially difficult customers? Yeah. What challenges either either marketing, ideally mainly marketing or logistically or,
1: or whatever? Um, yeah. where do you see challenges at the moment? Challenges right now, I would say that competitions are very real and that happens in every market. But you think about this market, this better for you market. And one of the things that I mentioned earlier that we took full advantage of was the barrier to entry into e-commerce is very low. It's getting higher with increased advertising costs, but it's still relatively low versus what it used to be where you needed to get into retail and you had to know a buyer. Now you can launch on Amazon, you can launch a D2C store. So with that and a growing trend of better for you, we see a lot of competition, both from challenger brands like ourselves and the establishment. The establishment understands in the cookie category, for instance, they understand the movement towards better for you. And now they're coming into the market as well. So competition is a very real challenge that we face. Interestingly enough, a very recent challenge that we're dealing with is traditionally in Better For You, December is not the best time of year. When you think about low sugar cookies and desserts (laughs) during the holiday season, people want the full version, the full sugar version of it. So December is not a great time of year, but January, February, March is. That's when people, all of us are sick of the new year, new you mantra of that campaign. But the reality is people look to change their habits during January, February, March. And so that's a great time of year. We're seeing this year, and we all have theories, and I'm happy to talk through a couple that, that we think as to why, but that whole concept of new year, new you is slower this year than it has been in the past, right? The, the um, motivation or the sense of urgency for people to get back into their health kick this year has been slower than in the past. And I'm not sure why, like, even if I was looking with the team yesterday, if you look at the diet on Google trends, if you look at just the term diet, and I'm not saying that high key is for dieters or not, it's just, it's an overall trend. Every year you see a spike during January, February, March, huge spike in January, and then it sort of falls off a little bit throughout the year. And then it spikes again in January. And you see that repeating that trend, the spike this year, so far anyway, this year on diet is much lower than it has been in years past. Don't know why, but we're seeing it's just been a slower that our thesis, I guess, is that it's just going to be delayed and that maybe the COVID, maybe quarantine has, people have just been in that diet (laughs) mindset for so long and they're sick of it. So that's been a challenge.
0: Yeah. I I wonder if it's a bit of a like post-pandemic exhaustion thing where people don't want to like put themselves through the pain of going to the gym and that healthy lifestyle and dry January and all that sort of stuff. So maybe it's a bit delayed, but I wonder if are there any increased trends anywhere else? So obviously a big thing in the kind of health and fitness space is exercise or diet. Yeah. So is it that maybe diets come down a bit this year, but actually exercise has gone up and people are just
1: focusing more there instead? We've seen, yeah, that's interesting. And in a more, like even more tactical level, like keto, keto was a huge trend. One of the biggest trends we've ever seen, ever, right? I think it's, I heard at one point, don't quote me on this, it can be fact-checked, but like keto as a search term was the most searched term that had ever come in terms of total volume and high key really built an audience inside the keto community, right? At the end of the day, we're a sugar-free brand and I think that's got legs way beyond any any trend diet could ever have mm-hmm. but keto was a big community that we served so that trend is dramatically dropping and but to your point what's increasing is what we believe is a bigger better overall thesis of just sugar free gluten free yep right? I just think eating healthier. So like healthy cookies is, is an increasing trend versus keto cookies is a decreasing trend. So I think that speaks to what you're saying with every challenge that we see, maybe the search volume on Amazon, not maybe it is lower on keto than it used to be, but the search term volume on sugar-free cookies is much higher or yeah. gluten-free cookies or healthy cookies. So I think that's an indicator that just people are are moving less away from trends. And maybe to your point too, healthy lifestyle Which is an important point. I think the younger generation, I'm 42. So the the generation below mine is much more attuned to health and wellness than mine was and certainly the generations before me. They're looking at their ingredients a lot more. They care a lot more about their health and fitness. And I think that maybe that gets away from trends coming up and down and much more about lifestyle and understanding lifestyle. But it's interesting nonetheless. So it's a challenge that we face. Another challenge that we're, we're facing real time is in retail stores. A lot of this is COVID related, but you're seeing labor shortages and supply chain challenges. That's, you can read about those things and you can maybe understand them, but if you're inside a brand and watching how these play out in real time, it's fascinating and challenging. So we had a lot of promotions set up, in store promotions and displays set up in retail locations. And what we're finding is labor shortages have caused like our product is there in the warehouse, but a lot of them are having trouble with labor. So they're not out on display yet. They're not even out out from the warehouse, their warehouse yet. And the displays aren't set up as quickly as they were going to. Mm -hmm. Right. And then add to that normal winter challenges of transportation and big winter storms coming through. So all of that, that's less tactical, but in terms of like how to grow a CPG brand or D2C brand, but very real challenges that we're facing real time.
0: Yeah, just to touch on the the generational stuff that you you mentioned earlier. Actually, just earlier today, before we jumped on this recording, I did two interviews, uh, two customer interviews for a client in footwear. So a bit different. Both of them early 20s. Both of them put a focus on uh, sustainability and ethics as some of the things they look for in buying products. And so, yeah, I, I completely understand your point. It's the younger generations who are much more, like aware of this and accepting that this is a problem that they need to find ways
1: to fix. Yeah, it's going to be table stakes, right? To your point, I think it used to be use better ingredients, use sustainable packaging, whatever those callouts may be, ethically sourced ingredients. And that was a nice to have. And it's very quickly, if not already becoming a must-have. The the younger generation cares deeply about where products are made, where packaging is made, where the food is coming from. And obviously the ingredients are inside the food. And I think that's an overall positive trend because it's going to make sure that any brand that comes to market, I think you're going to have those things in place. If you're not already established now with an audience, you're still going to have your challenges because as the generation below mine becomes the one with the most disposable income, which is quickly happening, the millennial generation. They're the ones that everyone's going to be going after very quickly here. They're going to they're going to judge brands based on what they're using and how they're doing all those things. And that's an important consideration. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk a
0: bit about omnichannel, right? So if you're on LinkedIn, you do see people who are adamant that D2C is the way forwards. And Amazon is just going to cannibalize your business and all that. So uh, it'd be good to know hear your thoughts on omnichannel approaches, what the benefits are, what the you know benefits and opportunities, and potentially downsides.
1: Sure. to um, yeah, to omnichannel. It's interesting because like I said, when I, I started in the industry, I had no idea about any of this stuff until I started a business and we started a business that could only be sold direct to consumer. And so I have very much a bias and and I write a lot about this on LinkedIn, but about the benefits of Omnichannel, but my bias is direct to consumer because that's where I cut my teeth. That's where I learned the game. And that's where we, that was the only channel we could use. Add to that, to the fact that in my time since then, working with a lot of food and beverage brands, that was when Facebook was in a much better place in terms of advertising costs. So the the channel was easier at the time, obviously. But end of the day, when you're talking about food and beverage and really all not all consumer goods, but specifically food and Bev, it could be said for others. At the end of the day, you want to be where your shoppers are shopping. And even though the trend is moving up towards the people buying online and COVID, it was moving up, COVID accelerated that. And you've seen that you're going to see continued growth on that. Again, especially as we were just talking about the younger generation, the more tech savvy generations, that's going to amplify that. But you're still talking about of grocery shopping being done in retail stores right now. And so if you're not, I think one of the huge benefits of being omnichannel, and I would include Amazon in that D2C and retail is that's where your shoppers are. So if your shoppers, if if 80% of your potential shoppers are shopping in one place and you're not there, the hierarchy of where people are shopping right now, they're doing their research on Google for the most part, the large majority, and a lot of them are just walking retail stores still. That's weird to me. My family, we've used Instacart for nine years now or some grocery delivery. My wife does not like grocery shopping, neither do I. So for us, that sounds very odd, but that's still the case where most people are walking aisles in grocery stores and they prefer to buy in grocery stores. So if you just think about it like that, you need to be where your shoppers are shopping. And if the shoppers are still shopping in multiple places, then you need to be there where those are, right? So yeah, go for it.
0: Yeah. um, Yeah, so I actually shop in the grocery store. I guess, uh, so one issue I've had is, I've had a couple of occasions where a substitution has been made and that substitution is just not an appropriate substitution. So you're looking at this other product thinking, I don't know what to do with this, especially when it's food, right? You've got a particular recipe in mind. So you're buying certain ingredients and they substitute like a a lettuce for a cabbage or the other way around. you are like, okay, I can get why you think these are similar, but I'm going to use them very differently. Yes. And the other reason for me is it gets me out of the house, right? I work from home. So yeah, it's a reason to get out of the house. I mean, that's only once a week or so, but yeah, it's it's one of those occasions to get me out of the house. But yeah, I was actually speaking to a nutrition brand again earlier today, actually. One of the things I said to them were, was, I don't see anything on your website about why I should buy your multivitamins as opposed to just picking them off off the shelf when I'm in the, in the grocery store, right? Because, you know... It, it, with those sort of products where people know they are widely available and you're trying to differentiate yourself against others, you've really got to explain those reasons. And if you high key was only online and you could only buy, I'm assuming, what, like packs of 24, or, you know, multi packs in order to make sure. shipping worthwhile, right? Yep. You've really got to explain why it's worth buying those online as opposed to picking up your favorite brand of cookie in store. And for a lot of people, that uh, sugar free aspect might not be enough to, totally. to, to make it worth that separate purchase. But if it's on the shelf with stuff that I'm buying anyway, then I might say, okay, yeah, that looks interesting. I'll have a look at that instead.
1: I've said, uh, again, coming, I, for one, I don't understand people's deep desire to pick one, to have it be one channel is better than the other. I'll never understand that. You know what I mean? That, uh, you get into a, a Twitter debate about which is better, Amazon or D2C, and, and they're both distribution channels, right? They both have pros and cons, just like retail has pros and cons, right? Do you want to – people are shopping in all those places. You should be there if, if you're shopper shopping there. Now, the sequencing of when you go on each of those channels is going to depend on – the brand, the funding, the team, the experience of the team, who's surrounding them. So that is an absolute conversation, but it shouldn't be about which is a better channel. It's a Which is a better sequencing for your brand is a better conversation, in my opinion. So I don't really get why why Amazon versus D2C is actually even uh, an argument to be had. But you absolutely have to think about the fact that direct-to-consumer is the channel with the most amount of resistance in the eyes of the consumer. It just is. We don't want to believe that as yeah. a brand. We want to believe that people want to come to our store and shop on our store. But at the end of the day, they would rather go to Amazon. They would rather go to Target. They're already in the store. To your point, they're already there. Whether they'd rather go there, they're not going there necessarily maybe to find your brand, but they're in the store anyway. Or they'd rather go to Target.com. And so. If you don't have a a value, you're losing a lot of sales, put it that way. You're losing a lot of sales if the only place they can come get you is in your store because they'd rather not shop there, all things being equal.
0: Yeah. But I think, yeah, you've also got the opportunities, right? You know, you could potentially use Amazon as a discovery channel, right? People are browsing there, people buy more quickly and more easily there. I'm sure that, do you, do you sell in the UK? We don't, no, no, not yet. All right, but if you do, I know it's the sort of product that I could probably buy one pack of and have it shipped to me free on Amazon Prime, right? So that just makes it super easy for me. Whereas if I go to your website, I'm probably going to have to spend, I don't know, 60, 60 80 pounds on quite a lot of the product in order to make it worthwhile you shipping it out. But yeah, if I do really love that product the first time I have it, I might then be willing to go to the brand's website. Once I decide the product is good, then I might, yeah, I might be happy to go buy it from that brand. Especially me, I like to buy from, I guess, like smaller brands, lesser known brands. So yeah, I, I'd be more, more likely to switch over
1: um, and buy from that brand directly. 100%. I think that is how it should be viewed over time is that direct-to-consumers, once they've established, they may trial on your see they may not. But exactly what you just said is that eventually, if they love your brand a lot, will now be much more inclined to shop on your store. And so uh, a funny example, uh, I was at dinner. So my wife is married to me, obviously, married to someone who speaks to her about direct-to-consumer all day long. A lot of like direct-to-consumers put food on our table and a roof over our head for many years now. And she was talking to her mom at dinner and she said to her i don't know what brand they were talking about she said yeah i had to go to i had to go to their website because they weren't available on amazon like just listen to that terminology of i had to go to their website mm-hmm. that is how consumers think right because she wanted to try it might have been more inclined might not have been but i would always prefer to go to someone's direct to consumer i i'm a buyer of quip which is the toothbrush Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just an electronic toothbrush. I was in target the other day with my son picking up something and I needed a new toothbrush head because the old one had broke and they were there in the store. And I could have taken one and I didn't because I wanted to go to their direct to consumer site. Cause I've been a, a customer of them for very long. So, the, your overall point is the real one. I just think that story about my wife talking about that's someone who who knows the space well, and I talk about it all the time. And she's still like her choice of words of I had to go to their website just struck a chord with me where I was like, wow, that is how people think.
0: Yeah. And what well, you said, uh, she wanted to be able to try it. Right. And actually, a- again, from these interviews I had today, we're talking about payment methods. And the guy said he, he buys with Klarna a lot. Mm-hmm. He will very frequently use Klarna because either he can spread the payments so he effectively uses it like a credit card he can either spread the payments or he just pays it off every month and he gets that 30, or he gets the you know pay in 30 days but he, one thing he mentioned was that he's he's not going to worry about like returns or getting his money back so it was that mm. kind of that security that he gets from this third party payment system just in case the d2c website isn't Quite legit, or it causes problems. He doesn't yeah. want the hassle, and I think that's similar with Amazon, right? Amazon, you know how Amazon operates. You know that if you buy something and you don't like it, you just uh, hit the um, hit the returns button, and uh, and you get to return it. Although one thing I did notice not too long ago is, the Amazon does ask you for the reason you're returning. If you select the wrong reason, they they do charge you for returns. Oh, is that right? But but you can switch the reason. Which I, oh. I would have thought that have worked out. So yeah, I think I said something like I just don't like it or something like that, and it was four ninety nine to return it. But then I switched my answer to uh, the product isn't right or something like that, and it suddenly it was free.
1: Isn't that fascinating? Like so. that, it <laughs> makes sense, but that's funny. Like you can go back and change it and then get it. Yeah, back. but yeah.
0: So the, the point is, yeah, Amazon is that it's that secure third party that you trust. And you can buy this product, you can try it out, return it if you don't like it. If you do like it, then you might go consider buying from that brand.
1: Yeah, I think the other, you know, I mean, uh, challenges, you talked about benefits and challenges of going, let's say retail, Amazon, they they have their own challenges. Amazon, its lack of control is the main challenge on either of those platforms, meaning Amazon or retail. Uh, Amazon, you can control your listing if you're a third-party seller, but there's a lot of Amazon nuances, just like there's a lot of Facebook nuances where there's just no reason why, right? This happened, we got shut down here, or um, yeah. listing got pulled down. And so lack of control, pricing, they obviously Amazon price scrapes you against a lot of other online retailers and offline retailers, and that's a challenge. In retail, you don't dictate shelf space, you don't dictate when you can launch products in there. So they all have pros and cons and challenges, I think the overall benefit to me of Omnichannel is, um, there's a huge margin. They all have different margin profiles mm-hmm. and that's helpful. That's helpful to understand like that high key, we're in club and Costco has huge margin. It's great from a margin perspective. That provides challenges for us from a pricing perspective, as I was just saying, making sure that Amazon is priced accordingly and that Costco is getting their the type of discount that they like to offer their consumer. We're about to launch in Walmart. That's going to provide another set of challenges to make sure that we're priced. Pricing is a huge thing across SKUs and making sure that we are dialed in on that. But, But Club provides great margins. Retail can have good margins. Amazon. So I think the margin profile of the entire business becomes better because you have multiple channels and from a pure margin perspective it's great but also brand awareness if if you're only d2c you're the only one responsible for creating brand awareness versus if you're on Amazon in retail stores in retail.com and on d2c there's a lot of places where consumers might just be randomly walking around shopping virtually or otherwise and yeah. run into your product and find it so you're, you you created brand awareness just by being there
0: yeah well on the one of the uh, a previous podcast episode on uh, dominating page one of Google, one of the, it wasn't purely an SEO focused conversation. It was, you need to be on whatever page is listed on page one, uh, on whatever, whatever URL. So if you're typing into to Google, buy sugar-free cookies online, potentially quite likely that Amazon is going to be near the top of that and potentially in an advert. So if you click that link or the advert and high key is at the top there, then that's the first thing you see I imagine their search results work in a similar way to Google, in that whichever one is number one gets a pretty decent number of those click-throughs, and then it it slowly decreases. So optimizing for that as well. So optimizing your Amazon presence, just so that when people are searching, Amazon's doing the work for you. They're spending money on SEO, and actually, you're the one benefiting. Obviously, That's such a
1: good point. I bring that up a lot about uh, third-party retailers like Thrive Market or GoPuff some of these emerging third-party marketplaces. At the end of the day, Amazon's just a third-party marketplace. We use it as its own, but that's the category it fits in. But that they're doing the marketing for you. I think that's such a brilliant thing to point out. So Thrive Market, let's just use that, or GoPuff, two, two fast-growing third-party marketplaces. They are doing marketing for you right? They are going and trying to get customers. They have two-sided marketplaces. So they have to go do customer acquisition and then brand acquisition. Mm
0: -hmm. And they're
1: doing customer acquisition by putting Facebook ads and Instagram ads and Google ads in front of consumers just to get them into their store. And then if you're on their store, you might just get some business because. So I think that's a really important point. Not to mention the point you made amazon's doing seo work to show up first on the listings amazon's doing retargeting work if you're just in a category page on amazon and then go off into another website they're going to be following you around thrive market will be doing the same thing so i think in general right it's they may not be showing a banner out of your product per se but point is that if you can be within those websites your product is there the chances that you're going to get eyeballs are going to be much higher than if you're just on your own store
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Another example, actually, is we have a website here called Not on the High Street. I don't okay. know if you... I don't. No, it's I suppose in a way it's a bit like Etsy. Okay. Uh, kind of less of a focus on homemade, so it's not like people's hobbies and things uh, and that sort of products. It is, but it's a discovery. Uh, it's a discovery website basically. It's gifts. Vast majority of stuff on there are personalised gifts, but you do get lots of. Like subscriptions and things, because also subscriptions can be gifts. I remember I did a little bit of work with a subscription cocktail brand probably, probably like six, seven years ago now, maybe longer. And they, a couple of years later, they ended up on Not on the High Street and you could buy right. a, a, I think a one, two, or three month subscription. And it's a discovery thing, right? So I, I see that. I think that looks really interesting. I'll buy that as a gift for you, for example. But then I might go to that website or I might wait to see what you think about it. If you say it's really great, I might then go back to the actual website and buy the the kind of full version or just sign up for a subscription there.
1: Yeah. So- there's a credibility element, whether we want to believe it or not. Uh, consumers are inclined not to trust our website for whatever, for a lot of the reasons you already mentioned and their own, uh, but they are more inclined to believe other people's websites. There's a whole concept of social proof. So That's where I've come. I love direct-to-consumer. I choose to buy on direct-to-consumer from every brand that I can because I'm in that game and I love it. I think more and more direct-to-consumer is going to become the place where people come after they've tried something. If it's the only place they can try something, then they will try it from there. You'll lose a lot of people in the process, I believe, just because of all the reasons we've said. But they will come to you eventually. You need to still have a value proposition. But think about that value proposition in terms of this person. Let me assume this person has tried this product, our product before. Now they need a reason to come here and buy. And that could be memberships, obviously. That could be loyalty programs. That could be subscribe and save. That could be bundling. That could be cheaper on a per ounce basis because, to your point, they're buying larger quantities of it than just a single individual package at the store. So that needs to be. I think that the, the shift in direct to consumer is going from this is a trial channel, and it could be because clicks were cheap, and you could. And so there was a lot of a lot of tactics out there about driving maybe a lower AOV, remove the friction from the purchase, get them to trial. It wouldn't turn your P and L upside down because click costs were pretty affordable, and that's not the case any longer. So shifting from it, saying let's assume that someone who's come here has tried our product and they're looking for a way to sort of go deeper with us and to try more things and to do it for longer. Maybe subscription, maybe not. But but yeah, that mindset of let's assume they have, they like us, they want to lean in more to our brand versus they want to trial us.
0: Yeah. Um, was it in our previous conversation before the recording of the podcast, did you mention you do you limit what goes on Amazon? And you have and you have different products on your website in order to create that kind of
1: well, here's we,
0: your sampling experience. Totally, Amazon. I mean,
1: yes and no. I mean, limit. We have we do, our operations team does a phenomenal job of giving us flexibility on which SKUs are available where, and so the the challenge one of the big challenges with. Retail partners like Walmart and Costco is that they require, even Thrive Market, they require a certain level of discount that they want to pass on to their consumer than what you have available elsewhere. So what we do is we change up the way that we're delivering. Not the form factor of the product, but let's say chocolate chip cookies for us is our hero skew. We're going to have different bag sizes, different variation sizes. Uh, so if we have a 3 pack on amazon we have one big bag in costco we have a smaller size bag yet bigger on d2c so smaller than costco but larger than what's on amazon we're doing a lot of those things which provide which presents a lot of complexity for ops so you have to have a we have to be in a place where your operations team can handle it and we are thankfully for that so we do those types of things what we also do is because i have the mindset on d2c that it's probably not where they're coming to trial. I've removed a lot of the SKUs. I've removed the price point on our direct-to-consumer, where if someone were to place an order at that price point, we wouldn't want the order from a profitability yeah. standpoint. I always say that to people. it's If there's a certain dollar amount that's just putting you underwater, right? then remove that. Try it. Test it. It may work. It may not. But in our case, it was we have, like I said, on Amazon, we sell one three-pack, three two-ounce bags of chocolate chip cookies is our hero SKU of all of our cookies. And on direct-to-consumer, you can only buy two. We're testing. So if at any given time, if you would go to our website, it would depend, but we're testing removing them for not our non-hero SKUs first, just to make sure that we're seeing the same volume. But something like that, where you just say, if I assume you're coming... For some reason, and that you've tried us elsewhere, is there really a need for us to have a trial sample on our website? That's the one hand. On the other side, from a pure financial standpoint, like if you're losing money on a $30 order, don't take $30 orders. Do what you can not to take those um, because it helps.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And obviously, it really applies to these sort of products where, yeah, if you go to a retail store, you can buy one small pack. But like I said earlier, you're not really going to do that. You're not going to spend. I don't know what three dollars, four dollars on a single packet of cookies from website. Right? You are probably going to be happy. You eat well. You're either going to go to Amazon. In fact, yeah, probably what happens is you go to the high key website. And you see that you have to spend a minimum of what, like 50 dollars. It's twenty five, but yeah, right. about, 25, yeah, like, minimum twenty five. So you think I don't want to spend twenty five dollars on cookies that I've never tried. You go to Amazon, yep. you try it. I like it. Cool. Now I'm happy to spend. because I'm also happy to spend $25 in one go to get a month's worth of cookies rather than going back to Amazon each time.
1: Yeah. So I think making that's right. Making so then, therefore, making it obvious what the value you're giving on your direct to consumer site is paramount. So Amazon obviously has moved towards pricing everything per ounce in food and bev because it's the standardization for their consumer of like okay how much does this cost per ounce cuz all yeah. everyone's got different ounces and different price points and people doing math in their heads is never a good situation so yeah. do it for them and so we're moving towards that too is like we have these obviously big virtual bundles on our direct to consumer site but if we don't tell the consumer even if you let's let's not use a bundle let's use the two three packs that i just mentioned instead of one three pack you can only buy two but we give a discount on a per ounce basis than if you just bought one but if they don't know that, they don't know that. Yeah. Most people are not inclined to do math in their head, and you shouldn't make them do math in their head. So that's where just that becomes a very important thing of what you're offering, which is a value proposition to shop in your direct to consumer store. Do they know it? Or is it very obvious to them, like what this is relative to what they could get elsewhere, which is the same kind of just upsizing? We always, you know, say if you buy four, you get X percent off if you buy six. So this is just making sure that it's very obvious on a PDP or on a homepage that. There are options that allow them to get cheaper if they buy up by more quantity.
0: Yeah, I mean it's really common here as well. Pretty much everything in the supermarket is listed with a price per gram or, or per, per hundred grams normally. And even with disc, yeah, with discounts as well, I've seen uh, positive positive improvements to conversion rate. Where in addition to twenty percent off, we've also said you're saving X amount of pounds. Yeah, yeah, because people. You know, 20% off might sound like a lot, it might sound like a little, but when you say that's 10 pounds, then someone goes, Okay, cool, I understand that. That's great. Isn't there that there's a story about is it McDonald's where they they tried to launch the one-third pounder burger, yeah. which obviously is a bigger burger than a quarter pounder, but because people don't really do maths very well, <laughs> everyone thought that a third burger was smaller, and so it it tanked.
1: Which yeah, because it would cost more. Because it costs more, right? And it's working. Yeah,
0: it it, it, it costs more yeah. and people thought they were getting less. So yeah. Yeah, of, of course they're gonna work. But I don't know if that would work to put a cost per gram on those burgers as well in, in McDonald's. I don't know yeah. if that would work, but yeah. Yeah.
1: Funny story. Any other challenges with D 2 C going solely D 2 C, I mean. I think the big one that I mentioned is, is brand awareness. There's a lot of things that fit under that that category but as you're gener- you're the only one generating your own brand awareness that becomes challenging ad costs attribution challenges all the things that all of us are dealing with compound that same core issue which is that you are the only one responsible for creating your own brand awareness yeah. now, if you can have anyone else creating brand awareness for you then that's going to be a benefit i think the margin challenges of direct to consumer obviously play a role too so with an increased advertising cost and therefore increased cost center for advertising, the p l is going to shrink uh, from that standpoint. If you're doing heavy discounting, that's going to shrink that gross margin to net margin portion of your p l. So it's a I think it's phenomenal for a lot of reasons as we talked about before, I think you can create great brand loyalty. I think you can generate your own customers, you can tell your story the way you want to tell your story. People are going to research your website. you should have, that, and you should set it up so that people can come and and shop, do research, and and ultimately buy, but realize that people are going to be doing other things on your site. So there's a huge amount of benefits to it, getting to market fast, building an audience, building information about your customers. I love d to c, as I've said, to your question of like what's challenging, that brand awareness thing, margin, and then supply chain. There's complexities with supply chain when, uh, wholesale's got its challenges, but when a wholesaler cuts a PO, one time they tell you they want X amount of your product, they might pay you in arrears. That's a challenge there. You don't get the money right away, but it's pretty simple, right? Do you have this much product? You as a brand, if you have that much, you send it to them, and then they go sell it. Yeah. So the supply chain challenges are real about communicating with your between your co-manufacturer wherever your product's being produced wherever it's being packaged, it's got to then get to a third-party logistics provider that can do the fulfillment. You've got shipping challenges that are getting I- increased. And so I don't say all that to just say, I don't love the channel. That's why I'm very adamant about saying all the benefits and how, why I love the channel. But there are complexities in that channel and there are challenges that make it challenging as your only channel of distribution. Just yeah. like any single source of like Facebook being your only advertising channel, right? We shouldn't be all in on one thing anywhere because we know diversification in anything is probably going to be better for you in the long run.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm actually, I'm working on a new business at the moment, which hopefully I'll launch in the next couple of months. Not exactly a digital product, but it's not a physical product we've got to send out, but I'm still like already planning out where these third party opportunities are going to be. And who I'm going to be approaching to sell this product for me. Because, like you say, or like we both said, if I can get someone else to do the marketing for me and spend that money, if I lose 30% in a as a commission on that product, I'm probably still better off. Well, maybe not better off, but you know, it's well, I will be better off because it's it's money I don't have to spend on on acquiring those customers. I'm still I'll be acquiring my own customers, but
1: yeah. And work you don't have to do. You don't have to do yeah. the work to like, you don't have to set up the marketing engine. I, at the end of the day, it does come down to credibility. And the reason we love referral programs from your existing customers and word of mouth marketing is because the credibility factor. So everything we've talked about, I think you can sum a lot of it up with credibility. If a consumer goes to Amazon and sees that you're available there, they may not know that pretty much anyone can list the product on Amazon. So to them, there's credibility to that, which is crazy, right? Because there really shouldn't be, but there is. Target, that I think has more of a credibility element because you can't just launch a product in target. But if someone's walking through Target and they saw your website and for whatever reason they were skeptical, now they're walking through Target. They're like, oh, high keys available on Target. Credibility. To your point, it's like, who can you go to in the industry that could help, that has an audience that trusts them, that could say, hey, buy Will's thing and they that was bought because of trust and credibility so all of this becomes a story of how can you build trust with your brand and we don't want to say this or admit this but we don't have credibility with a brand just on our site unfortunately if that's the only thing or said differently it's harder to build that credibility it's harder to build that trust you can absolutely do that but i just think this the the percentages of people who are going to come to your site and just have deep confidence in you as a brand from their first visit is much smaller than those that would have it if they saw you in multiple places. Um, so you don't have to touch them as many times. Yeah, exactly. When It comes down to those uh,
0: however many touch points it is these days. It's more than it used to be, isn't it? It's about 15,
1: 15 yeah. <laughs> 20 digital touch points. Latest, but yeah, a lot.
0: Yeah. A lot. W- whatever it is. So if you can get those touch points on 10 other websites plus your own advertising and stuff that might drive people to, to convert on your websites, but also it, it might just still um, convince them to convert on others. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. Great stuff. So yeah, just before we finish, uh, unless there's anything else you want to add about Omnichannel, no. DTC? No? Cool. is there anyone in the DTC marketing space or Omnichannel marketing space? Let's go with that for you
1: that you'd want to have lunch with. Oh, that's a good question. My, here's who I think I, I, Take a brand like Nike, any big brand that's really gone hard after D2C, I would love. So this isn't like influencers in our space, probably don't even know who these people are, but whoever's leading the D2C charge at a brand like Nike, that's bought into this, right? They saw the opportunity in direct-to-consumer and they said, we are going to move. They're they're largely moving away from distribution partners and going hard on D2C, which I think is just an interesting side note. Like It used to be that D2C was a huge opportunity for challenger brands and new brands. And now I think you could argue that the opportunity is for large brands who have the profit margins, who have the brand awareness, who have the loyalty. Because for all the reasons we just said, they're going to be able to drive people to their site. A lot easier to buy, who ultimately end up buying than, than maybe some new brands are. So I'd love to sit down with whoever's running that at Nike or any other big brand that's really leaned into direct to consumer. And I'd want to pick their brain on what they've done.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, with, with someone like Nike, right? They've got the brand, right? Everyone knows them. Everyone, it's a huge brand. It's a great brand. So I suppose they are, they're protecting that margin, aren't they? Right? They, by pulling it all in house, they get to set their prices. And say if you want to buy Nike products, you have to come to our website. This is the price. So there's no more discounting elsewhere, and also it creates that, I guess, a bit of an element of, of exclusivity, and and like brand value. Really, there are, it's almost like say we we don't trust anyone else with our shit. If you want to buy them, you can only buy them from us. So yeah, I yeah, think- it'd be
1: fascinating. It'd be fascinating. Just like because I'm. We're talking about it like it's very easy. I'm sure it's got its own challenges. Yeah. It's greener, right? But, but there is an element that's much easier, which is everything we've said. The brand awareness, like they know. So now they can do some really cool things. It, it, it seems to me like it would be much easier than a brand new brand who's trying to convince someone to come to their website and buy.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. And just finally, have you got any tools that you'd recommend to listeners?
1: Yeah, Source Medium, I've used it a couple different places now. Source Medium is like a BI tool, a dashboarding tool, but it's got all the API plugins. So I've loved Source Medium because I I don't like spending time pulling data. I like spending time analyzing the data that's already there. So every cut up that's possible, I can look at in Source Medium as a one stop shop. And then One Click Upsell, I love living inside of it. So any tool that's going to allow you to do pre and post purchase cross selling and upselling. you know, I think the fun part that the stuff that Amazon doesn't allow you to do, because they're all they've handled that, which is all that yeah. hey, you may have already liked this. They're cross-selling you and upselling you all the time. You just don't get to see it on your own D2C site. You can. And it's really fun to just see, oh wow, if I offer this on a pre, if they click on this product and I have a bundle that includes that product, what if I just show it to them and see if they buy and what percentage? So I love that game. I had great success
0: doing that with a client kind of in the lead up to Black Friday um, Christmas, actually. We had a yeah. They, they would basically there was kind of one product and then some supporting products. So all the focus was getting people to buy this hero product. When people clicked add to cart, we had a pop up which said. If we tried a few different messages, one one I think the, the most successful was something like "Here's a special offer for you," something like that. Which I know, <laughs> I know, but yeah, <laughs> it, it works though. It works, and yeah, uh, yeah the, one, the main offer there was a bundle. Like, do you want to upgrade to the bundle? For X pounds, whatever it was, and you'll save this amount, and that worked really well. That was it was the most effective upsell that we we tested out because we we tried things like, oh, you've bought this. Do you want to add this product to it? Or we tried, do you want to buy another one uh, post purchase, which did okay. But this upgrade bundle just worked so
1: well. I've seen great success with it. It's also just fun. I love. It's fascinating to me. You can squeak another dollar per person out by doing nothing different, right? Your conversion rate doesn't take a hit. You just get an extra dollar per person through whatever time in the life cycle you just showed that to them. It's meaningful. Yeah. You're talking about dollars on the fringes here may not seem meaningful, but times however many orders or people coming through that, it's super, super meaningful. So that's the most fun.
0: Yeah. And I know this, I guess, more applies to smaller businesses, but a way that I've looked at it a lot in the past when I've had my own businesses or when I've worked with startups is if we can get like an, like you say, an extra pound or an extra dollar per sale for X money sales, that's paid for this. Yeah. Right. That's paid for an, an extra customer service person, or it's paid for a, an upgrade on this tech or something like that as a way. Of, Cause it almost gives you targets as well. There's just really small targets that you can just hit or try and hit on a monthly basis. To say, well, all we've got to do is get an extra dollar on these sales. And then, yeah, we've paid that fee. And then next month, it's if we can get an extra 50 cents on these, we'll have paid for that bit of tech. And just things like that, I, I found really good at
1: kind of motivating people and, and helping drive growth. I think so too. I mean, a good point quickly. I use that same mindset with software, is what your point. Someone on my team the other day said, should we upgrade to this? For, for this tactic, they have a better software. It's like first establish if we're using a su- inferior software, in your opinion, let's prove out what the metric that we're trying to move with this software is with the quote unquote inferior version of this, right? And if we can do that, and then you can show me what that new fancy version of this software does, that's different than what we do now and how that might add incremental revenue because we're using it, that's a base case. That's great, but it's very easy for all of us. I'm guilty of it too, to look at any sort of software and be like, ooh, that one's so much better. Not accounting for the time it's going to take to transition to the software, to get up to speed, to learn it. So just if we're using one that's not so good right now, in theory, see what results we can drive with that not so good one before we, that'll allow us to make the case, should we upgrade? And then it allows us to look back and say, was that upgrade worth it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, there's been absolutely fantastic stuff. I think there's, like you say, there's loads of opportunities with Omnichannel. So I hope hope we see less of the D2C is the only way forward. LinkedIn, if anyone wants to reach out and find out more from you, what's the best way of contacting you?
1: Yeah. LinkedIn is is, is the platform that I've been the most active on. So find LinkedIn, search Ryan Rouse and High Key. Probably I'll be the first that shows up and would love to have you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ryan. All right. Thanks, Bill. Be well, man.
0: It makes sense to be where your customers are. If they always pick up their snacks in the supermarket, then get your snacks on those shelves. If they order from Amazon all the time, be on Amazon. These are great opportunities for discovery if you work the channels well, and then you can worry about pulling them across to your own world later. I know a couple of brands who are doing really well by just adding a QR code to their packaging, prompting customers to scan and and go check out their their website. If people haven't heard of your brand, it takes time and effort to persuade them to try you, let alone commit to a, a decent sized purchase most of the time they'll do a bit of research themselves and that's probably going to end up on a site like Amazon. As Ryan points out, and this is something I love really, uh, you, you've got a really good opportunity on Amazon to help people discover your brand and try it out. You can sell one packet of your snacks or you know whatever you sell uh, on Amazon and not have to worry so much about shipping costs etc because Amazon deals with that. Then assuming that your product's actually really as good as you say it is, they'll come check out their websites and if you've structured that properly, you can give customers a solid reason to to shop from you instead of Amazon. And you'll start to acquire customers directly as well. There's a huge amount of opportunity out there for brands to broaden their reach and use other channels. You've just got to do it strategically. And if you want help with that, I'd encourage you to reach out to Ryan. Any podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customers or tweet to me at Will Lawrenson or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Dominic Keenan joining me from Clickbank to talk about affiliate programs, but until then, keep those customers clicking.